walking with us and helping us. Because if we're honest, we have to admit we need a lot of it. And if we're not honest and we think we can do it, we know you'll remind us that we need you, that we can't handle it on our own. And so I pray that as we talk about work today, something that we do, something that we have to get better at or work hard at, um, we just at the same time acknowledge that we need your help to work well, to, to do what you've called us to do. And even to be the church, I think we just sometimes go through the motions without understanding that we need to pray to you and rely on you just to be who we're supposed to be. So even now I pray that you'd help me say the words that would accurately speak about your word and explain it well and then give us a heart that would bow to it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. So I was going to do a concluding Life of David message, but then I started thinking about Labor Day and work, and I just kind of shifted focus a little bit. So um, I do think it's an important thing to talk about in church, the a theology of work. And I can only hit one real point today, and it's in the title, that work is worship. So that's kind of what we're going for. Um, when I was in Chicago, I worked at a law firm. I, was a, I did paralegal work uh, to, to get some money on the side. So when I got done with school, you know, around 3 o'clock at Moody Bible Institute, I would head over to work, and I would uh, go into the law firm, and I would uh, get a bunch of legal paperwork and then hop on a subway train, go down to the courthouse, uh, down in the loop, if you know that area, and then file that at the Daily Center. So there's like three different floors where you file paperwork and, and different legal documents went to different places. So I didn't know where to take each thing, get them filed, and then bring a copy back to the law firm. And sometimes I deliver a copy to a local uh, law firm in that area, in the loop area. So that's what I did for four years when I was uh, a student in downtown Chicago. Awesome job. I loved it. I loved running around downtown Chicago and just being in the city. It was a lot of fun. But um, one of the things that I reflected on a lot as I was thinking about my work history outside of ministry um, is it's interesting how people respond to you when you're a Christian at work. You know, like, like a believer in Christ at a secular work environment. It's different from being in ministry, you know. And, and even there at the law firm, it was just very different because um, for some of those attorneys, they knew exactly what I was doing there. I mean, th- they knew that I was in Chicago to study to be a pastor. Like, like they got that. And so, you know, one attorney responded to me kind of like, you know, he would say like, Niall, so, so pastors are counselors, right? And I'm like, yeah, pastors are counselors. I, I didn't know where he was going with this. And he said, well, attorneys are counselors too. So my job's a little bit like yours, you know? I mean, it's kind of like I have to give advice. And I thought, well, I, I don't know. Maybe you insert your own joke there. I, I don't have a joke for that, though. But, you know, sure, sure. Another guy, I remember one time I was in the office, and uh, this attorney was in the, in the office area and not up in his private office, and he was, he was screaming at some guy over the phone, like, we're all in the office. There's like, there's like a dozen of us down there that are doing, like, computer work. And he's yelling and cussing and, you know, and then he got off the phone and he looked over at me and said, 
I'm sorry, Nile. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I wanted to say like, what were those words? What were you just saying? You know, but like that's the joke. Of course, I knew what he was saying. You know, but there was like that. Oh, here's a pastor in training, so I dare not say those things in front of him. You know, just just interesting. And then there was um, another guy who he was one of the partners, so he was higher up in the firm. And his response to me, he didn't really know why I was there. Like, like he maybe he made assumptions, but. He was, he was really hard to work with, and he'd give, like, the, the hardest assignments. I mean, it was kind of like this. I'd be down in the office area, and he would walk downstairs from his private office, and he was, like, walking out the door to wherever he, whatever appointment he was going to, and he would say, like, Niall, I want you to look up file 12536789, you know, and, and copy the motion to dismiss, and then he's out the door. And I was kind of like, I don't even have a piece of paper in my hand. Like, could you give me those numbers again? But he's not there to give the numbers. He's out the door. He's also uh, got a very angry personality. You've, you've probably been around people and work with people like this that like to get on your case. Um, and, so, and so one day, I, I had a different kind of document to file, and it required a payment. Most documents, you just stamp it and take it back. This one required a check to go with it. You had to pay to file this thing. And I didn't usually do that. So I didn't make the payment. I just didn't know. And so this, this document didn't go out on time because I went to the courthouse with no check in hand. And I came back and I was like, you've got to write me a check. I, I, I can't do this. And of course, it was, this document was for the angry attorney. Okay, Of course it was for him. And so once, I, once they told me in the office it was for him, I was, it told, they told me his name and I was like, oh, no. So, of course, he comes down, and things didn't get filed that day the way he wanted them. He wanted it done by 4.30, and now it's after. And he came down, and he was mad, and he was in a mood. I'd heard him before, even standing in the stairwell. I could hear him sometimes a couple floors up yelling at another attorney, you know, like just screaming. And uh, so I was like, it's my turn. Here we go, you know. So he started laying into me, and what were you doing? What were you thinking? And then finally he said, and what are you going to school for anyway? Thinking I was going to say law school, you know, and I'm going to be an attorney. And I said, I'm going to be a pastor. And then he stopped and he said, everybody's got an answer for everything. And he walked away. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. And I said, and you better watch your mouth around me. No, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. No. Uh, and then my last one, my last interesting reaction was our office manager, uh, and she was an awesome lady, really kind, and she was Jewish. I'll never forget the day she, it was, it was in December, and I was talking in her office, and she said, Niall, I, I have a weird request for you. I, well, what is it? And she said, I, I like Christmas music. You know, she's Jewish. And she's like, I love choral Christmas music. Could you tell me, like, do you know a good choir that would put out some good Christmas songs? Like, I, I feel bad asking for this because my family doesn't listen to this, but I just love it. And so we talked about that, and I'm like, it's okay, you know? Like, Jesus was Jewish. It's okay, you know? And so we kind of talked a little bit. So um, I don't know, but 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 I do know that I bumbled and stumbled into a lot of interesting conversations with people who either didn't know Christ 
or didn't think they should believe in him because they're Jewish, or had a conscience that kind of told them they shouldn't swear around me. Um, And I just want to talk about what's a disciple supposed to be like at work? How does your discipleship, your following Jesus, relate to your secular employment? Like, how does that work? Now, I understand I am talking to people that um, have jobs in Christian camping. I understand that. And so maybe you have to figure out, like, what does that look like? But, But in particular, I am thinking, in a sense, that when you're in a work environment that is largely not saved, what happens there? But I think there's something for everybody regardless. Okay? So, would you turn to 1 Corinthians 7? This passage used to like keep me up at night, like terrified that I'd have to preach on it one day because I didn't know what it meant. And now I feel like I have a little better handle on it. First uh, Corinthians seven seventeen, and I got to grab a prop very quickly. So you turn there. Okay, First Corinthians seven seventeen. Okay. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He shouldn't become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Don't become slaves to human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Okay. Let me tell you like kind of what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians here because it will help you understand this better. Um, he, Paul is writing to a church that has a lot of problems. And one of those problems is, what do you do like if you get saved, you come to Christ, but you're still married to someone who doesn't believe? Like, what do you do? And in chapter 6, Paul says, well, you stay married to that unbeliever, you know? Unless he leaves or she leaves, then you let him leave. But, but you stay married to that person. And, and, and so Paul's thinking about other situations where if you get saved, it can kind of complicate things. It can kind of complicate your life. I mean, in some ways, spiritually, it simplifies everything. But being a believer in, in, in the secular workforce that can complicate things. And, and, and he's thinking of other examples here. And I'm going to read this whole passage one more time, but I'm going to explain what he's saying first. He, it, look at this passage kind of like a, um, I think, looking at like a Big Mac. Here's what he does. There's like three buns in this thing. And each of the buns is kind of like a, um, what could you say? It, it, it's like the statement, you should stay in the place that God assigns to you when he called you. And what Paul's saying is, if, 
if you were married to an unbeliever and then God called you to be saved, then stay married. If you were uncircumcised, which means you're Gentile, not Jewish, and then you got saved, Paul says, don't worry about it. Stay uncircumcised. If you are a, um, his last one, is if you're a slave and God calls you to be a Christian, again, don't worry about it. Stay a slave. Serve God. He called you. Don't, don't let that bother you. So three times he's going to say, stay in whatever situation that you're in. That's kind of like the three buns, okay? And then he has two examples. We'll call that the meat of the Big Mac. And meat number one is, are you, are you uncircumcised? Don't worry about it. Meat number two is, are you a slave? Don't worry about it. Let me read it again now with that in mind. And I also want to, one more thing I'm going to call your attention to. Um, if you have your notes here, um, there's these Greek words, klesis and kaleo. We'll put those up there. Paul's going to use the word calling or call in this passage. And he's, he, normally when, when, the, when that word is used, God called you, uh, like sometimes you think of like uh, Romans 8.30, those God predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He glorified. You know, and Paul kind of goes down the list there. When, God, Paul, when Paul uses the word call, in his mind what he's saying is, God said your name. Niall, I want you. Follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. You know, however that worked out in your life, you that are saved, you heard God say your name in some way. And you knew this was for you. It wasn't for your neighbor. It wasn't for goody two-shoes people. It was for you, the sinner that you are. And you got saved. You, you were called. So when Paul uses the word call, normally he has in his mind, like, God called you, then you get saved. In this passage, it's one of the only passages where, where Paul uses the word called, but he also means like your social location, like, like where you are in life. Are you uncircumcised? That's your calling. Stay that way. Uh, are you married to an unbeliever? That's your calling. Stay that way. Are you a slave? There's a hard one. That's your calling. Stay that way. If you can get your freedom, take it. But he uses the word kaleo and klesis to, to refer to where you're at in life. This is where I'm at in life. This is my job. This is what I do. Uh, this is who I'm married to. This is, this is what my kids are. I've got a responsibility to them. Wh- whatever you have in your life that God has called you to, that is your klesis kaleo. And I think this is the only passage in the New Testament where Paul uses it in that way. So it's kind of cool. Um, let me read it again now. And I want to call attention to um, the big calling and the little calling here. Let's put it like, well, I'll show that in a second. Okay, here we go. Nevertheless, he's just talked about marriage. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation, that's the word calling, by the way, in whatever calling the Lord has assigned to them just as God called them to be a Christian. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He shouldn't become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. and Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. 
Each person should remain in the situation. That's the word calling, by the way. You should remain in the calling they were in when God called them. Isn't that wonderfully confusing? You need to stay in the calling in which you were called. I'm going to come back to that verse. But obviously the NIV translators wanted to make it a little bit easier on us, and they thought, that's hard. Let's make the word situation. That sounds easier. That's why they did that. And then now here's the second meat on the, on the Big Mac. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called, that's that calling to faith, in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person, here's the last bun, as a responsible to God should remain in the situation, the calling they were in when God called them. Now, there's your Big Mac. Okay, Two examples and three times he says, stay in the calling in which you were called. How in the world can I make that a little bit easier to understand? Let's say it like this. And this is in your notes. There's a big C calling and a little C calling. Is that the right way? I did that right. Look at that. All right. Um, Let's talk about the big C first. The big C calling is, like I said, when God calls your name. In other words, every single one of you are called to be a disciple of Christ. You're called to follow Christ. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And if you want to know what a disciple looks like, that's the Beatitudes. We looked at those earlier this year. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. If you want to know what a disciple looks like, that's what it looks like. You're you're called to that. You want to know what disciples do? What, What will they do? The great commandment and the great commission. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. You're, you're called to that. You're called to do that as a disciple. Uh, you're called to do the Great Commission. Go out and disciple people. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's your calling. You're called to disciple other people. That's why we're doing Rooted this fall, because that's the Great Commission. We've got to grow each other up in the faith. That's a calling. Um, you're also called to be a fisher of men, to, to share your faith. That's part of Rooted as well, by the way. You have to share your faith during one of the weeks. You're called to be a blessing in your community, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's also part of Rooted. There's a community focus where your group's going to get together and reach out. So this is your big C calling. This is who you are. Nothing's bigger than this. I had a really good joke, and I can't remember, and it was going to be about Christy being the big C in my life, but I probably shouldn't say that, should I? Okay, no, never mind. And then there's little C, which is how I treat Christy. Um, sorry. <laughs> so when Paul, says, when Paul says, stay in the calling in, when you, in which you were called, the last called is like the big C. When God called your name, you got saved. Now there's the little C. The little C. Now, the little C is your calling in a social way. You're called to a social condition. I didn't know how to say this. Like, how do you, how do you talk about your calling in life? You know, we could talk about your employment at a job. We could talk about who you're married to. 
you know? Um, I just read this quote. It was really great. Uh, it was kind of like, guess who your soulmate is? It's the person on your marriage certificate, you know? That, that, that's the one. You, you're called to that person. That's your person. That's the one God has for you, and their name is on your marriage certificate. That's the one. You're called to that person. And in chapter 6 and 7, Paul's talking about that marriage thing. He also talks about how if you're uncircumcised, don't worry about it. Look, if, if you're from another country, and some of, some of us are here, um, celebrate the country you're from. You were called to be from that country, and it's awesome. Celebrate it. I mean, that, that, that's the whole circumcision, uncircumcision thing, you know. If you're Jewish, celebrate it. Stay, un, stay circumcised. That's awesome. Do it. You're Jewish. If, if you're from somewhere else, celebrate it. You're called to be that. And then he says, if you're a slave, you're called. But if you can get free, get free. You saw that too. If you can get free, get free. But, but that's a hard word. And, I'm, and this isn't a hard text. That's why I never wanted to preach it. Um, because what you're saying is, God, if you're a slave and you get saved, you may never be free for your entire life. And Paul's saying, that's okay, because God might want you to be the most amazing Christian slave there ever was and make an impact as a slave. You're called. I'm going to talk about that a little more later. Now, I think Paul could have kept writing chapter after chapter on this topic of calling. Uh, he says in the last verse, he uses the word whatever. Um, this is, um, I'm sorry, ESV has whatever. Uh, verse 24 says, Brothers and sisters, each, uh, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So, so whatever situation you're talking about, when you got saved, consider that God has called you to many of them, those situations. You're called to that person you're married to. You're called to that country you're living in. You're, you're called, even if it's difficult and you're a slave. And you're also called to a job. You're called to work. You're called to give glory to God at work. And so, how do we understand this? If you want to make the most of your job, your secular employment, or Christian employment, this is what I think it needs to look like. Like that. Can you see that? Your capital C calling from God ought to intersect with your little c calling at work, and marriage, and, Ameri and being an American, or everything. But I'm talking about work today. Your calling at your job ought to be overwhelmed by your calling as a Christian. You're a disciple at work. Before you're an employee, you're a disciple. Did you see on the video if you came in early enough, 9 o'clock? I know some of you are 9 a.m. people. Sorry. But we played that video of the mechanic who got out of prison and the church helped him get his business started. And then he started hiring people like the heroin addict and he helped that guy get back on his feet in the name of Jesus helping a heroin addict? That, that is putting your little C calling inside your capital C discipleship calling. That's what that is. Now think about this. 
What I'm saying is, um, you may never feel completely fulfilled at work unless you do this. You know what I mean? Because some of you think that um, your job in itself is going to fulfill you. And maybe it has to a certain extent. But this will complete the picture. This is it. If you're the mechanic and you fix cars and you get great satisfaction out of seeing the person drive away in a car that's been fixed well, that's great. I'm glad you have fulfillment in that, and you should. But you start doing the capital C thing at your work, you start living like a disciple at work, and it's just a game changer. It's, it's renewed purpose at work. That's what it is. It's a capital C calling. And maybe that's just talking about your faith with a customer. Maybe that's just letting people around you know that you're not going to, I don't know, take office supplies, you know, like they do. I, I don't know. Uh, you just do the right thing. But whatever it is, your, your work is your discipleship place. That's what it is. It's a chance to shine your faith. And so maybe the missing piece in your life with your job is, maybe the reason you've never found your job to be as purposeful as you wanted it to be is because it was missing this. Um, I'd love to just go a little bit deeper in just a few applications of what I've just said. Um, If you have notes, I have four little applications. Um, Number one. Don't break the commandments of God at work. Did you see that in verse 19? I'll read it again. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. So uh, the Lord is saying, and Paul is saying here, uh, yeah, the Jewish command thing, don't worry about that. But the moral commands of God, don't break them. Do you have a boss that asks you to do things that are illegal or questionable, unethical? Don't do them. Don't do them. Say no. And, and, I, and I've heard stories of people, even in this local congregation, that have said, no, I won't do that. And I know one young man who left his work because he wouldn't do that. He's got a new job now in the same line of work. God provided for him, but he had to leave the one he was at because he, he said, I will not do what is illegal because the boss says so. Don't break the commands of God at work. It should be a no-brainer, but there it is. You are a disciple at work, and you owe God obedience even over your boss. I already alluded to, you know, maybe people avail themselves of work resources. Maybe you're the one that just doesn't do that. And you don't make a big deal and say, hey, look, I'm not taking those supplies. Maybe it's just the fact that you don't. It just sends a message. It sends a message that you have a standard that comes from the Lord and not from yourself. Maybe, are you ever tempted to, uh, you know, for those that have difficult bosses, to lie about work you haven't done to make yourself look better because you know they're so demanding? Don't do that. 
Because now you're breaking the command of God. And, and you're giving the boss power over you to break that command. Don't do that. Because you, you're, you're supposed to serve as unto the Lord. That's Colossians 3 that we read earlier. You're serving the Lord. Don't break the commands of God at work. Secondly, second application. This is a big one. This is like, I think, one of the most challenging ones. Moving up the social ladder is permissible if the Lord allows it. But He might not, so don't worry about it. I mean, let's just apply the slavery thing to us. No slaves here. And I believe God is anti-slavery based on a lot of different passages where, where like Paul says to Philemon, I'm sending your slave back to you, but I pray that I'm sending him back as more than a slave. And, and you're getting like, oh, a free person. I believe the New Testament teaching is that slavery is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And I could take you to a lot of passages to show you that. But, but here, what if you're stuck in it? What if you can't get out of it? Because you don't live in, in a place where it's abolished, like in this great country here. Paul says, verse 21, Were you a slave when called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to the faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. You could be a slave in life, but in God's eyes, you're free. In God's eyes, you are free. And so if reality can match that, it should match it. So the Emancipation Proclamation is amazing because what it does is it makes a spiritual reality into a physical reality. You know what I mean? You're free in Jesus. Now you're free from slavery too. You see? Those things are connected. Now, let's reverse it a little bit on us because none of us are slaves. What if you can't move up the social ladder and get a higher paying job? Don't worry about it. What if you are striving for years to make as much as your neighbor makes? Maybe you are not focusing on discipleship the way God wants you to. You know what I mean? Seek first His kingdom. All these things will be added unto you. If your goal in life is to move up the social ladder and God's saying, nope, I don't got that for you. Sorry. I'm not letting that happen. You say, well, God... Isn't that the American dream? Well, it's not Jesus' dream. It might be your dream, but Jesus might be looking at you going, I have no intention of you to make that much money in this life. I have no intention of giving you that much responsibility with wealth. I can handle it, Jesus. I promise. The lottery would be a good thing. I can handle it. I'll be the one that does the good work with it. And Jesus says, no, actually you wouldn't. And no, I don't trust you with that. And he may never allow you to move up the social ladder. And the question is, based on this passage, you need to be okay with that. Because the slave has to say, at the end of the day, I'm free in Jesus Christ. I'm totally free even though I have a slave master. And you get to say this, even though I don't have a lot of wealth, I have the riches of Jesus Christ and His grace. Is that enough for you? Is that enough? Maybe He'll let you go up the social ladder. Maybe He won't. But you better not worry about it above kingdom things. You see? 
Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus said the same thing. This is not new. This is Bible 101. I think we weave the American dream into our theology and say that God wants to make me rich. Look, even in the Northwoods in the last week, I was talking with a friend of mine who's a pastor, and there was a visiting preacher that was preaching prosperity. Prosperity, God wants to make you wealthy. False gospel. It's a false gospel. And it's a false gospel that's becoming very popular in, in poor countries because it sounds so good. And it gives people this hope that God wants to make me rich. But based on this text, you might be the, the called slave. If you can get your freedom, get it. But God may not give it to you. That's something to wrestle with on this Labor Day weekend. Number three. That's convicting enough. We can go home now, right? Okay. Um, work with the Lord. I love this. Did you see this in verse 24? Uh, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. That was not the verse I wanted. Um, what was the verse that I wanted? Typo. Oh, I was looking at ESV. Let me read ESV for you because there's, there's a sense in the Greek text that says, so brothers, whatever condition each was called, let them there remain with God. Yeah, NIV smooths it out. It's kind of sad. But, but there's, in verse 24, there is an emphasis on working with the Lord. Uh, and you see that in some of the literal translations. Um, let's just say this. God's with you at work. He'll help you. If it's hard to be a Christian at work, he'll give you the words. The point is, God is there in that work environment with you, and he wants to make attorneys uncomfortable when they swear. That's a good thing. Made me feel a little awkward, but it's a good thing. And he wants to make Jewish people think twice about Jesus in Christmas. You know? He wants to do that. He wants you to reach out to your coworkers and... Help them, even when they're at the bottom as a heroin addict. He wants you to reach out and not give up on them. Pray with them. Show them love. He wants that for you. And he's there with you doing it. So work with them. He's going to help. He's going to empower you. And finally, lastly, um, your job, this is, this is for young people, by the way, especially, I think, young people, your job is your current assignment for God, from God. That was in verse 17. Each person should live as a, as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Assigned to them. So, if you're assigned to McDonald's, then you're assigned to McDonald's. For me, it was hard. That was my first job. It was Hardee's. If you're assigned to fast food, you may not be there forever. And you probably do want to move up the social ladder a little bit eventually. But if that's your assignment, you better do your best. You know, that's your assignment from God. That's not just, I think sometimes we get caught up in this. Well, I know eventually I'll hit this level and that's when I'm really going to give my best and my all because that's when I'll get the big paycheck. No, no. Whatever you're doing right now, whatever your job is, young people, one day you will have an entry-level job. That's why it's called entry-level. And it's not going to pay the greatest. 
and, and the boss might be a little bit demeaning to you because it's your first job and you're just a young person. But let me tell you how to impress your boss. And let me tell you how to impress this boss, the Lord. Treat that first job like it came from Jesus Christ himself. Because it did. It did. And in that job, love people well. And if you're at the fast food checkout and you're punching in the Big Macs and you're thinking about, oh, that's like that First Corinthians 7. It's like a Big Mac, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> however you do that, you smile at the person that you, that you take the order from. How's your day? You, you add your discipleship into the mix and you will find your job becomes a lot more purposeful than flipping a piece of meat. You know what I mean? It will And whatever you do, you'll do it as unto the Lord. And you'll go home that day feeling a sense of satisfaction like, people saw Jesus in me. When that guy was cussing, he felt a little bit weird because I don't do that. And when that guy took that stuff, he felt weird because I don't do that. And, And when everyone else was crabby and I had a smile on my face, that was noticeable. If you do this, you will glorify the Lord, you'll find purpose at work, and you will make a difference in your faith. As we go, um, I know it's hot, and I'm done. Amen? Yeah, I know. Um, It's hot. Uh, Don't forget, though, in your rush to get out of here... um, don't, don't forget that there's calendar sales in the foyer there. Also downstairs, it's a little bit cooler down there. I don't know. Um, there's also Rooted sign up. We added three new groups this week. A Sunday morning group, a women's group, and a men's group that meet during the day in the morning. So if that's of interest to you, there's still sign-ups down there available. Our goal is 80% participation this fall. It's discipleship. It's a little bit intense, but it's also basic. It's the basics of the faith. 